Man, the Lakers are wanting the Stripes to blow the whistle. The Grizzlies are at a discount right now. And James Harden makes his long-awaited 76ers debut. I'm Rosa Panther. This is the Clinic All-NBA Podcast. I have the two hooligans with me. JJ, how you living, my friend? Ooh, feeling good, feeling great. Let's get it, boys. Hey, let's get it, boys. Sammy! How you living, my friend? We still have James Harden, day two. And, <laughs> and I'm ready to talk about it again. <laughs> the Sammy Logs, man. Well, you get to start a little early because we're going to talk about that first. James Harden's debut with the Clippers. It went something like this. 17 points, three rebounds, six assists in a 97-111 to loss to the New York Knicks. I want to ask you guys, oh. it was a kind of a bumpy game but overall what did you guys think about james harden's first game with the 76ers also just sort of like the chemistry that you saw with the other stars what did you guys see i don't know i might be biased semi well i'm not biased but for a team with that much star power and not scoring over 100 is a concern for me uh James Harden, he put up some stats and pretty impressive stats for his first game, 17 points, which I'm not mad at. Uh, I expect him to be more of the facilitator role as he was in or with the 76ers, but um, I don't know. It would have been nice if the Clippers won, obviously. You, you had a better look at the game since you're a fan. What did you see? Uh, well... Honestly, I was a little surprised that they started Westbrook, Harden, Kawhi, and PG. Yeah. And I wonder uh -huh. if that's Ty Lue initially saying, let me see if this will work so I can manage egos. Because the obvious choice to come off the bench is Westbrook. The last time he did that was with the Lakers, and we all know how that went. So I don't know if he was trying to kind of protect his guys and go to that if he, this proves not to work in terms of starting the four of them. Um, overall, it felt like all four guys were very passive to start, where they're, they're trying to find their way. I kind of thought this game was gonna be a little like this. I will say they were tied through three and then they just fell apart in the fourth. Was, the game was tied. And then the fourth quarter, they put a 21 and gave up 35. I mean, so that part, I think says that the whole, it's not like they were getting blown out the whole game, but this is going to take a few games to figure out. Clearly, they want Harden to be the facilitator. That makes the most sense. But I'm just trying to figure out how these guys slot in together. The other problem that they're going to have, especially now that Plumlee is hurt, he has an MCL sprain. We don't know the, the extent yet. They're still diagnosing the grade. If they continue to start these four guys together, Kawhi's a decent rebounder for his size, so is PG, but they're going to get blasted on the boards by big teams. And so that's the other part of this that's going to have to get figured out if you're gonna keep these four on the court together. So overall, uh, I'm not in panic mode because they lost a game at all. I still have no idea if this is actually gonna work, but I am curious to see if they're going to stick with starting the four of them together or if they're gonna flip otherwise. So I don't know if that's too reasonable to take and not Homer sound the alarm enough, but that's kind of where I stood at it. I'm curious to see over the next four to five if we start to see either of them gel or they say okay we need to bring Westbrook off the bench because I think those are the two choices. Bro what did you see? 
the thing that I, I mean, it, it was a bumpy game and it was a game full of turnovers. I think they turned the ball over like 22 times. So you could tell that like they weren't very cozy, like cohesive off the bat, just trying to figure things out with James Harden. But the thing that I did like is that they, they subbed out James Harden first and they ran him with the second unit, which to me is probably the best way James Harden can succeed. So the caveat to this is that I really liked Russell Westbrook with the second unit better. And I don't know what, like, I don't know where you go here. I don't know if it's just like Ty Lue's like, okay, well, this is like the new toy that we have. So we kind of have to feature him a little bit. So we should run him more with the second unit than Russell Westbrook. In my opinion, I think Westbrook fits that role better just because he's like the energy, like spark plug. It's just, there's a lot of bas. There's only one basketball, but, and there's a lot of stars here to, to mesh. So I'm kind of curious how this sort of plays out. Do you guys predict down the line that for the second unit, at least, will be run by Russell Westbrook or by James Harden? It should be James Harden, but it will be Russell Westbrook. I think Westbrook does have that energy and he knows the system already where James Harden could just play off of uh, Kawhi and Paul George. And... Um, That'll fix some issues, Sammy, but I'm still concerned about the Clippers rebounding just because Zubak is the only player on the team right now that's over 6'8", and the Clippers got smashed from the Knicks. 48 rebounds to your 31. So, but what do you think? So, it's interesting because you look at who they traded in a way, it was Marcus Morris who we've discussed at nauseum here last year. Maybe it just feels like nausea to me when we were talking about him. Um, no offense, man. Hope you're doing. Hope you're happier in Philly. Seems like you are. But it was him, Batum, Covington, and KJ Martin. If you look at that's actually four power forwards that they traded away. Yeah. So they did get one back in PJ Tucker, but obviously he's undersized. So that's why this Plumlee injury hitting when it did is actually a big deal because the only other big on the roster is a. Uh, a first round or second round pick from last year, Musa Diabiate, who's not really ready for a role on what you would hope is a contender. So there's going to be either a follow-up trade of some kind, like a smaller trade, just for a rotational big, if Plumlee's injury is bad, or they're going to maybe try to go a little bit of five out, because the other thing for Zoo is as much as I like him as a center who plays his role really well, the knock on him is his hands. And you've got guys now on this team that are firing passes from all over the court. And Harden and Westbrook's cases, like, they're literally coming from anywhere. And he did have a little trouble with that yesterday. So it's a mix now. It's You've got to figure out the rebounding or you're going to need the guards. Westbrook and Harden are both decent rebounders for guards. So either they're going to need to step up and help compensate for this or they're going to have to make one more rotational move. But even when, just to conclude this, the, the loop on this, even when Plumlee comes back, you can't play Plumlee and Zoo together. So there's, this is a piece of the puzzle that needs to get answered. And honestly, I don't know if it's Terrence Mann. I don't know if it's another deal or I don't know if it's the way they're gonna stagger the minutes. It, it really remains to be seen. Um, but I agree, it's gonna be a problem if they don't address it fast. So wow. there's, there's a few things that they need to address. And like one thing that I wanna ask you guys is, how many games do you guys give the Clippers 
to figure it out. JJ, what do you think? Ooh, to figure it out? I'm going to say 15. 15 games. Yeah. Okay. We're talking about rotation and hopefully rebounding. Sammy, what do you think? I'm going to go up to 20. Uh, and my basis for that, even if the talent level is not quite the same, is that I your still remember the first year, the, the Heat. <laughs> remember the remember the first Heatles year? They yeah. started nine and eight, and everyone freaked out. True. And even if the talent level is not quite that that amount, you got four guys who legit have claimed to wanting to have the ball. So this is going to take a while. So I'll go to twenty. All right. Well, we are yet to see what the 76ers can do, but we are sorry the Clippers can do, but we are hopeful. Next, we're going to talk about the Lakers. The Lakers sent a video to the NBA office alleging missed fouls against LeBron James. And this is by ESPN's Dave McMiniman reported Tuesday. The team reached out to the NBA, that sound effects killing me, the NBA league office after its 108-107 loss to the Miami Heat. The Lakers shared various clips showing what they believe to be clear illegal contact by Heat defenders against LeBron James that went unnoticed by, re by the referee. James attempted four free throws in the defeat, and head coach Darwin Ham drew a technical foul in the third quarter while arguing with the officials. Now, the NBA, like, they reviewed this. They basically said everything was fine. The, the refs didn't miss anything. What do you guys, one, think of the Lakers sending this video? Two, do you guys think there were some missed fouls in this game? Sensitive. JJ, please. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, for the Lakers to complain about not getting fouls and they led the whole league last year in free throw attempts, mm -hmm. I find that hilarious. But I'm going to not try to be biased and be a Laker hater for the next minute or so. And I'll just <laughs> say this. LeBron James is smart. This is this was not a move to address during the moment. It's for upcoming games, so that when he does take it to the rack, he does get those calls because one, he's LeBron James, but two, he also plays for the Lakers. Okay, LeBron James does get fouled a lot. It's the nature of his game. Right. I don't think he should be called every single time they go through the bucket. And it doesn't help that LeBron James's nickname, or one of his nicknames, is LaFlop. So <laughs> I'm like 50-50. Like, I want to give LeBron his credit because he's a superstar. He, he does go to the rack aggressive. He does deserve some of those calls. But I'm sure, guys, if you were to record any NBA player at certain moments of the game, you could find a foul. It's like in the NFL. If referees slow down the game, look at replay, there you could always find a penalty. But tell me if I'm wrong. Absolutely. Sammy, before you, before you get in here, I, I want you to comment on this. Um, so part of the report included a possible foul by James Butler that happened within the last like seven or eight seconds remaining left in that game. And LeBron James responded on social media saying, the game isn't won or lost in the last two minutes. If you know the game, things happen throughout the first, second, third, and the first 10 minutes of the fourth. That has major impact on outcomes. 
Sammy, what do you think of that? I mean, yeah, it's hard to disagree with the man in terms of he's going to know this stuff better than I am. But at the same time, I guess what it comes down to is what we as fans are going to remember is whatever happened in that at the end of the game. You know what I mean? So I don't disagree, but I just think that's not the stuff that the mainstream is ever going to see. So that's why that explanation might contradict what our eyes are going to tell us. But I, I can't disagree with him necessarily. What do you think? Yeah, I can't really disagree with him either. I think that I, I agree with JJ that it's kind of ironic that this team led in free throws and they're <laughs> lobbying for more free throws. But I also do think that the Lakers have two players that are very hard to officiate, who play very physical down low. And we're talking about Anthony Davis and we're talking about LeBron James. And they don't play very fast either. This is a team that likes to slow it down, play the big possession game. They don't run very fast. It's a lot of physicalness. That's how they try to beat you. So I don't know if this will do any good in the future, but I know that, like JJ said, LeBron James is uh, is a smart man. Mm -hmm. So we'll see how that goes. LeBron James, we're going to move on to another topic about LeBron James. Anthony oh. Chang. LeBron says he'd still be just as dominant if he never went to Miami Heat per Anthony Chang. And LeBron then retweeted this story with, you damn right, I would still be. I'm chosen, ain't nothing changing that. Maybe less rings, but dominant from start to finish. Do you guys think that LeBron James would still be just as dominant if he never went to the Miami Heat? It's it's an interesting choice of comments. Let's let's start there. Cause what you're kind of saying when you say that, and you tell you guys tell me if I'm wrong on this, is that you're almost admitting that you specifically wanted the extra help to win the rings, and I'm trying to find a way to articulate this properly. Um no number one star in the NBA in the history of the league has ever won without a good number two and number three. I think we all agree on that, right? Yes. But yes. how a lot of people remember that move, right or wrong, let me put that out there. I'm not saying this is the correct opinion, is that he left a sinking ship because he wanted to go assemble a championship team and kind of started the player empowerment era, which some people like, some people don't. But I feel like what this is doing is putting the magnifying glass on that and saying, yes, I needed the help. And if I never went there, maybe I wouldn't have the same amount of rings I have now. Like it doesn't put his historical career in, this, in, in the best light for him to amplify that, I guess is the way I'm thinking of it. Does that make sense to you guys? So, so I, would he be as dominant? Yes. Would he be considered potentially 1B or 2 with Jordan if he only had one or two rings? No way. I think that's safe to say. So it's just weird that he would amplify that himself. I guess, am, am I digging into this too far, JJ? Do you think I'm overreading it? Like, what's your read on? Not yeah, just like, the article, but his reaction. My read, I guess it's kind of a unique, well, I don't want to say unique take, but it's different in the way that I think he actually wouldn't be as dominant his points would 
go up. But the reason that LeBron James was so much better with Miami is because he had that much help where he could play free safety on defense. He could boost up his assist by passing to Bosch and Wade. And let's not forget, like, Magic Johnson has claimed this over and over again. Rebounds and points, that's easy to get double digits. It's the assist. You got to have people score on your passes. And let's be frank, that 2009 Cavs team, who was the second best player? Was it... I don't. I I can't even remember. What's uh, it? Uh, Larry Hughes, Eric, Eric Snow, Snow, Anton Jamison, <laughs> one of those. Things, and I'm not even exaggerating. Yeah. yeah but exactly. it's funny that that's the reaction because like, it should be. Like dominant in terms of like points and having better stats, maybe, but dominant like winning games, and that's what basketball is all about. Mm-hmm. And if we're measuring dominance, and I don't want to steal any ideas. Jen and Sharp is actually the same thing that I'm thinking. When I think of dominance, what do we? Who do we think of first? Michael Jordan. And right. when we think of Michael Jordan, we think of what? Six rings, undefeated in the finals. Great. Yeah, absolutely. I don't really have much more to add there. The only thing that I would say is that if people are disagreeing with JJ here, is think about like Shaquille O'Neal if he never went to the Lakers. I mean, he would still be, quote-unquote, really good. But when you think of the word dominance, like, you have to think of winning. Yep. That's that's the one word that comes with dominance, is that, like, you can't dominate in, like, a passive role. Like, that doesn't sound, that doesn't sound right. But anyway, I'm going to move us on to our next topic here. The Memphis Grizzlies having a very, very slow start. And now the ticket prices are as cheap as $4. A center court lower level ticket is only $175 to their next game versus the Heat. Last season's Eastern Conference champions. Is is John Morant the main culprit of the Grizzlies starting 1-6 this season? Dang. That's just sad though. Like a playoff team, the Grindhouse. When they yeah. were just playing the Lakers last year and the Warriors the year before that. Correct me if, correct me if I'm wrong, but the Grindhouse, Memphis Grizzlies, that arena was cracking. Yeah. I and really hope they didn't play whoop that trick for that one win they oh. had in seven, seven games. Call, call it out. Call it out. I mean, you can't be playing that song. Four four dollars, guys? Like, I can't even get a McDonald's meal for four dollars, let alone a 10, a game with basketball professionals against the Eastern Conference champions, the Miami Heat. Yes, this is embarrassing. And dare I say, it is on John Morant. You are the superstar. You're going to get the blame when you lose as you should get the credit when you win. And Sammy, we saw this and we talked about this. They were good without Jaw Man, but mm-hmm. I don't know if it was an outlier. Maybe uh, they're able to maintain the ship when it was supposed to be sinking. What's your take though, man? Like, is Jaw Morant the culprit? 
I think in part he is, but I would go further and say it's not just him, it's the point guard position. And we did talk about this a little last time, but I, they're missing Tyus Jones right now. They're really missing Tyus Jones. They don't have enough offense right now. They don't have someone who can initiate. It's putting Bain in a position where he's, I think, serving as primary ball handler a lot of times. And as good as he is, he shouldn't be doing that. Marcus Smart, as good as he is, is a very strong personality to fit into a locker room, especially a young locker room. And then this hasn't gotten a lot of publicity, but I think losing Steven Adams hurt them more than people are realizing, too. Yeah. Remember, yeah, he went out for, for the year sure. right before the season started. So I think it's Bill Simmons who uses the term season from hell once in a while. And I feel like that's what's happening here. I don't know the protections, but they traded their first round picks to Boston. I'm sure there's protections on them, but that's connected to the suit. But so I do. I think it's partially jaw. Absolutely. He's our best player. But I guess to me in hindsight, and I'll kind of throw this to you both. Was it just major oversight and total lack of preparation on their part to realize your star point guard is out for 25 games? Let me turn around and deal my other point guard. Is that just horrible roster mismanagement or am I overreading this? No, I don't think you're overreading this. I think I think it's yeah, it's it, it was stupid. It was a stupid move to make. And I know that Desmond Bain is great. I know that you had some things to say about Dylan Brooks probably underneath your breath if you're management <laughs> of the Memphis Grizzlies. Um, and I know that you had high hopes Dylan, for Dylan, who's their point guard now? Marcus Smart? For, and Bain, basically, yeah. And Bain? I mean, I guess on paper it doesn't look bad, but if you really look into it, like... They, they really needed someone to distribute the ball or at least attack a defense and neither one of those guys are really really good at doing that maybe Bane in some sense but Bane is best not when he's dribbling a ton and creating his shot his best one is kind of working off of jaw who can create and be a threat and that's why Desmond Bane looks so good the past two years mm -hmm. so I, I, I don't really understand it JJ you think it was an oversight to trade Tyus Jones for sure. And before we move on, I just want to put some perspective out. If us three got tickets to a Warrior game or a Clipper game and we flew out, we bought... Oh, no, sorry. If we flew out to Memphis, bought plane tickets, bought the center court, lower level, <laughs> it would still be more expensive to go to... The Clipper game and Warrior game versus Memphis. True, and I, I respect that as a veteran of many $5 Clipper games during the Donald <laughs> Sterling era. So I, I've been there, but that was 10 years of mismanagement, not 10 games of incompetence. It was a very different set of circumstances. Man, Jay, you're, you're convincing me to fly out to Memphis right now. But anyway, go. we're going to take a short little break with a word from our sponsor. Are you tired of constantly losing your bets on unfair gambling apps? Our sponsor, Parlay Play, has the best lines to increase your chances at winning it big. Not only does it have great lines, it's also an awesome app with a community feel. Use code CLINICALLNBA for a deposit match up to $100 and a free $5 game on the house. They also have a feature called Slide the Line where users can raise or lower a line of their choosing. Pause the pod, get on your phone, and download the app now. 
Download the app Indeed. We're going to talk about what Brad Botkin said from CBS Sports. He said, at the moment, to suggest Lillard is uncommitted to playing defense would be an understatement. In reality, the guy's playing some of the laziest, flat-out worst defense of his career. It's been borderline disgraceful at times. Wow, there's a lot of trigger words in there. (laughs) He did not. (laughs) I don't know what Damian Lillard did to him, (laughs) but there's a lot of trigger words there. Um, Do you guys agree with Brad Botkin here? I mean, I know we've seen some oh. some of these bug games and, and you know, watching Damian Lillard play defense on Portland and now playing defense in Milwaukee. Do you guys agree? I mean, he was never exactly a defensive stalwart in Portland. Let's just start <laughs> yeah, I mean, there. I, I don't know if Brad has seen uh, Portland Trailblazer games before. Or the Western but Conference, for that matter, but... This is true. I mean... I don't want to pat ourselves on the back because this was all over major knowledgeable NBA pause before the season started, but we all said the same thing. They have a defensive wing problem now, and we figured the offense would be amazing, but you've got Middleton playing. I think he's still on 18 minutes a night. Other than that, you've got what, Connaughton behind him. There's no defensive wings. You have Lopez and Antetokounmpo, these two great defensive bigs, no one in front of them. And if you're putting Dame in a position where he can get exposed, he's going to get exposed. This is no different than Portland. It might be even worse, but maybe it's also because there's more exposure because there are more eyes on Milwaukee now because of this trade. So is it as bad as Mr. Botkin is saying? I don't know. Is he a good defender? No, he never has been. And that was kind of obvious, but it's just it's rearing its head now because they're in the spotlight. And just for perspective here, I, I was curious. So they are currently 24th in defensive rating with a rating of right. 116.7. Wow. Um, Terrible. So it is It is not good. Uh, the teams behind them, too, are Brooklyn, Indiana, Charlotte, Utah, San Antonio, and Washington. Essentially, no teams that anyone would consider a serious contender. Mm-hmm. Um, the other irony wanted to point out is Portland's defensive rating does seem to have jumped a bit since he left. That part's interesting to me, but I'll leave it at that. Um, But yeah, so I I think that's the perspective, but same thing. Roster construction issue. They need another defensive wing, and we don't know who that's going to be yet. So in the meantime, Dame will get exposed until they can figure out a defensive game plan. That's where I'm at on this. What do you think? Yeah, definitely, man. Um, a lot of people thought that the Giannis, you have um, Brooke Lopez, that duo in the front court would help alleviate some of the defensive trouble from the, the back court. But we've seen this time and time again, the point of attack on the top or on half court or at the three point line, if your man beats you, that causes a whole bunch of problems because someone could take it to the rack, they could draw a foul on Giannis, or they could kick out for the three. And it's just going to get worse when the postseason comes because who's going to get target targeted? It's going to be Dame. Mm-hmm. And let's let's be real, man. Like Dame doesn't play defense. Even when the 
Blazers were postseason, going to the postseason year after year and year, their front court defense was terrible. Like, I don't. This is. I know that writer. What's his name? Bo. Um, Brad Botkin. But Botkin. Yeah. Brad Botkin. I know Brad Botkin. <laughs> I, I I do think he has a point, man. Like. When it comes postseason, it's going to be terrible. Like you, you need good perimeter defense. You need to at least try. You need to try. And we've said this over and over again: top ten defenses make it far in the postseason. We have yet to see a defense in the bottom tier even go past the first round. So I. I'm glad we're we're laying into Dame Lillard here, because no one does a good Dame Lillard apologist impression as good as me. And I'm going to say that I'm going to give Dame Lillard some time. And there's there's several reasons why I'm going to give him some time, because it's a new it's a new defense, it's a new scheme. I I know he's been playing basketball for a very long time, so it shouldn't be too new, but. It's still new players. There's still things to figure out. And Dame Lillard, we already know, already has defensive defensive deficiencies. Also, Chris Middleton has been on a minutes restriction since the start of the season. He has not played past 21 minutes. So I think when, hopefully, when Chris gets a little bit more healthy, that some of these deficiencies don't look as bad because he'll have some help, particularly on the wing. So I'm going to give Dame Lillard some time. Also, like in the playoffs, I feel like there are defensive schemes for particular teams and they haven't done that yet because we're just at the start of the season. Low sample size. Brad Bodkin, hold on. Hold on to your underwear, man. Because <laughs> I don't think I, I can't imagine this team's going to be what? What what was the defensive rating? They, they were what? Ranked 24th? 24th or 25th, Sammy, right? 24th. 24th. I can't. With a team like this, with Giannis Attentacupo, Chris Middleton, etc., etc., I can't imagine, just because of Damian Lillard, that they're, they are literally bottom half. I can't imagine that, man. Am I apologizing for Dame too much here? Yeah, I will, I will, bit, I will um... take the silences, yes. I'll take the silences, yes. We will see at the end of the season here. Or at least let's let's say halfway. Let's look at this again, halfway, and see where we're at with Dame Lillard. We'll check in. Let's talk about someone else who isn't doing so well. Julius Randle. <laughs> JJ put on the outline here, putting up tour dates. <laughs> Julius Randle is shooting the worst field goal percentage through six games of an NBA season since 1959 for Nick's Muse at 27.1%. Here are his tour dates. Boston, 5 for 22. Atlanta, 4 for 10. New Orleans, 4 for 15. Cleveland, 5 for 14. Cleveland, 3 for 15. Milwaukee, 5 for 20. Jordan never did that move. So Julius Randle did have a bounce back game, which still happened to be against James Harden in his first game, like we were talking about, where he did score 27 points and he was shooting 42%, 10 rebounds, 3 assists. He did do very well that game. But 
How alarming are these stats before that game for Julius Randle? Like, what's the panic meter here for the New York Knicks fans? I don't know if I'm overreacting, but this is the same exact team. Yep. Didn't make any changes. Yep. <laughs> so what the hell happened? <laughs> I, I'd be know, panicked. Man. I would be very panicked. I don't get it. It's literally the same five starters. The only major addition, if you want to call it major, was DiVincenzo, who is going to have nothing to do with what Randall's offense looks like. So I don't know, man. It's like, I, I don't get it. I, I'm at a loss, like legitimately. As much as Randall's style has been, let's say, what's the term here? Argumentative, I guess you would say, between people who think whether he not whether or not he contributes to winning. The stats have always been there. And so to fall off a cliff like this, it's just the weirdest cold streak I've ever seen. Uh, I, I'm so happy for him that he happened to have a bit of a breakout against the Clippers. That was really great. Uh, so we'll see if that's a turnaround. And this was just a really odd cold streak or something. But even in that turnaround, he still only shot 42%. So it's not like he went out and shot 65 or 70. So yeah, let's be real about that. So yeah. I'd be panicked. I mean, let's assess where we're at five or six more games from now, because then we'll be through not quite 25% of the season, but a decent chunk. But I'd definitely be panicked. You guys? Uh, if, I, if I was a New York Knicks fan, I would be definitely panicking. Because you're posting tour numbers, all right? Number one. Number two, I don't like his attitude, especially to some of the players that are showing that they're real leaders on a team that that desperately needs leaders. Like Brunson. Like the last Laker game before the Clipper game, it was reposted on multiple sites where Brunson is trying to score to take the lead. And Julius Randle is on the top of the key asking for the ball. And when he doesn't get the ball, he mm-hmm. you could it's clear as day he's moping. He doesn't run back on D. And then guess what happens? They lose the, they, they lose the game because of that moment. And you're the power forward. You should be protecting the key. I don't mind, guys, that the shooting percentages are like 27 30% for six games if you're a two or three guard but for power forward where you're supposed to take close to the rim shots close to the board shots what are you doing man you have no business taking three pointers mid-range you should be dominating the paint or at least getting to the line and to shoot 27.1% come on man you're not clay you don't have an excuse you're not James Harden (laughs) not an excuse Jay I I completely agree with you man and to to talk about that play a little bit more where Jalen Brunson goes up for the shot and then Julius Randle walks literally the whole court walk all the way back Mm -hmm. The one thing about being a power forward or just being any player on an NBA team, you should know, like one of the basics is if you're not underneath the basket trying to get a rebound, what are you doing? You're running back. You're getting back. Get your playing 
defense. Yes. Mm-hmm. Also, don't get mad that Jalen Brunson didn't pass to you because you shoot at a 27% what? clip. <laughs> why would you, why would he pass it to you if you shoot by 20, bro? Why would is why would he do that? Why would he even <laughs> give you the ball to score? Because you hadn't been scoring. So I I don't blame Jalen Brunson for that at all. I don't care how wide open Jalen or Julius Randle was, because in winning time, I want the players that can score. And Jalen Brunson is shooting over 40% this season, so I'm not mad at him at all. So, um, but can I ask a follow-up then? Yes. Do you think, if this continues, that Julius Randle will be on this team by the All-Star break? Yes. You still think he'll be there, okay, JJ? I can, can I? Oh, go ahead, go ahead, please, please. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give my caveat here. No, please. I'm gonna say because he has tanked his value so much mm-hmm. that they're just kind of stuck with him. Okay. That that that's what I'm gonna say. JJ. That makes sense. So on his contract, really quick on his contract, he has one more year, and then he has a player option after that. Oh, he's taking that option. <laughs> Probably. The number is not insane for what his production was before this year. It's a high 20s to almost 30, which oh. in this current NBA. That's not bad. It's not terrible. Yeah. Uh, JJ, what do you think? <laughs> the Knicks should waste every single resource on that staff to try to find a trade deal okay. and try to find it soon because the value is low right now. And I can't believe I'm saying this. I could imagine it going even lower. Where they don't even play him. Remember, we're talking about the New York Knicks. Sometimes they don't even play half their players for games. They'll have seven pe- a seven-man rotation and out of spite, sit this man out. There will be a sucker that will take this man. Well, possibly with assets attached. So... Yes. They are known to be the team waiting on the next disgruntled star because they have some assets, they have some young pieces. The name that they are supposedly waiting on that's being talked about the most is Embiid, if Embiid becomes available. I'm gonna throw out another name to you, uh, under contract only until the end of this year, so there'd be a resign attached. There's a gentleman in Toronto that makes a lot of sense on this team. Who, Siakam? Yes. And if Toronto looks to change things up, which they've been rumored to, I would wonder if they could get two of the Knicks first round picks and one of the kids, if that would interest them or if I'm way understating Siakam's value. I don't know if with Siakam on that team, if it's enough of a boost to make them, like put them with Milwaukee and Boston, I don't think it is. But outside of Embiid, I don't know who does that. So I would wonder if that's a deal that potentially would get considered at some point this year. If it is, you heard it here on the clinic first. And I'll kick it back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess we'll have to see what the New York Knicks do with Julius Randle and what Julius Randle does with his shooting. Um, anyway, next topic. ESPN released their rankings for the top NBA players under 25, and it kind of goes like this. At one, there's Luka Doncic. Then it goes Anthony Edwards, Victor Wembenyama, Tyrese Halliburton, Ja Morant. And I just kind of want to throw this in there. At seventh, 
we see Zion Williamson. I like turtle. Do you guys think ESPN got this list right? Is there something problematic in that list there? If I was a GM, and of course I'm not, but if I if I were to be, I would probably put my trade assets towards Zion and Victor Wimbanyana. I think those are like, no, no. These are all talented players, but I, Ja and Tyrese, great players. Zion, when he does play, he's great. Well, actually, my mistake. Sorry, fellas. I keep on forgetting that Zion gets injured every other game. So maybe <laughs> that's why he's at seven. Right? Is that the reasoning, Sammy, that he's at it's seven? It's gotta be. It's, it's gotta, gotta be availability. Be uh, yeah. So, you do you think seven is proper? Do you think with his injury risk, it's too low? I, I mean, if you're going to put Jaw at five, I think Zion should at least be right behind Jaw. Okay. Or, so, oh, between or... them is Cade Cunningham, to put perspective on for you, which is interesting because Cade literally just missed all of last year with a chin injury, and I'm a big fan of his game, but I just want to throw that out there as a yeah. caveat. I wouldn't F. If a GM asked, trade all five of your first round picks for the next five years, I'd probably pick Zion over Jaw and even Cade. Okay. I don't want to, you know, ride the obvious choice too much here, but, and I know he's only been in the league now for seven games, but how's Wemby not number one on this list to me? I, I know we've seen Luka do what he does. I do feel like the bloom is a little off the rose with him only because. There are some flaws that have been observed in this game, as good as he is. But the unanswered question with that is, is that a roster build issue? Or is that, is he just very hard to play alongside because his style is so unique? I don't know if we're going to get the answer to that anytime soon. Did you guys see the highlights of what Wembenyana did against Phoenix a couple nights yes. ago when he put up 38? Yes. And yeah. All over the <laughs> yeah, court, inside, outside. Defense. I mean, I, I'm with you, Sammy. I'm 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 torn with this because that's the first thing that I thought too was was Victor Wimbanyama, in my opinion, is more valuable than Anthony Edwards. So like I would at least make him two. Luka Doncic, I know he has like a long a longer track record. So yes. I think maybe that's why he's number one, and not just a track record of being a good stat getter, but also bringing his team into the playoffs so we haven't seen that from victor yet but if you're just talking about like offensively like how can you stop victor i don't know how you do it if he's on we saw that in that suns game and then defensively victor Wimbenyama is superior already let, right let me mm -hmm. add, let me just counter you guys really quick victor tore up the suns but don't forget that Luca is the son's daddy. So True. maybe we should use this list as the 25 best players against the Suns. Against the Suns. <laughs> oh my goodness. But agreed. But, That's hilarious. Yeah, but one thing, yeah, man, like, I know he's obviously, he's tall, I get that, but he's already averaging two and a half blocks a game, eight rebounds a game, shooting a decent percentage from three outside of two bad games. Like, 
He's 19. I can't get past that. This, yeah, this kid is barring injury, and I'm not literally knocking on wood now because I want this kid to be healthy. He's going to live up to the hype, which is wild. So yeah. I think you put him up at one. And then just on a high level, we've all been watching basketball, I'd say, for more than 30 years, combining just, you know, most of our lives, right? We saw some dark periods, and after Jordan retired, there was not the best talent pool. You look at who's on this list, like going a little further back, Garland, Ball, Jackson, Maxi, Mobley, like going all the way down this list. You have Scoot Henderson at 23. Shangoon's down there, Keegan Murray. The league is in an awesome place right now, just in terms of the talent, just looking at this list. So that part's awesome for guys like us who just like to watch the game. I just wanted to point that out. I was just looking at this list, and these are all dudes that have all-star potential minimum. And they're all in, obviously, the, the list accounts under 25. And not even getting on this list, Vassell, Jabari Smith, Shaden Sharp has been awesome this year. So there's a ton of talent in the league. This is So looking at this list like from that perspective was, was a cool way to, to look at it, too. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing that I want to bring up as well that kind of left me scratching my head, Tyrese Halliburton is ahead of Ja Morant. Do we think that is because of what is going on with John Morant currently? Or do you guys think if John Morant was even playing, this is how the order should go? No, that has to account for uh, John Morant's activities. activities. Yeah, I'm going to be contrarian on this. I think Halliburton oh. finally getting the exposure he deserves. I love watching that kid play. I think he makes his teammates significantly better. Like he's averaging 12 assists a game right now. That's wild to me. That's like, true, man. Yeah, he I'll is give you that such sure. a good player, and we just haven't noticed it because he was with the Kings before the Kings had the little renaissance last year. And the Pacers are a small market, and. I just think the exposure hasn't been there, but I don't get me wrong. I think Jaw's a tremendous player. I think I've always been impartial to the pass first point guard or a little partial to that. So maybe that affects my opinion here. I can I would consider them like 4A and 4B personally, but I don't necessarily think Jaw's light years ahead of him. I think Jaw's more exciting and has gotten more exposure because of Memphis's playoff success. But, oh, that's interesting, because I, I honestly like Ja Morant ahead of Tyrese Halliburton, just because I've seen Ja Morant perform in the playoffs. I, it's I a good argument, yeah. I haven't seen Tyrese Halliburton get there yet, but maybe True. this year will be their year. Um, but with that, that's actually all we have for tonight's episode. I want to thank you two for being on. JJ, thanks for being on, man. Thank you, everybody. Appreciate you all. She knows she loves Jay because... Sammy, thanks for being on, man. Thanks for having me. And friends, if you'd like to see tomorrow's episode of the James Harden Saga, please join us on Valley Sports for <laughs> the next Clippers game in Brooklyn, 4.30 p.m. Pacific. And of course, shout out to John, who's missing right now. I'm Detective John. And shout out to our video producer, producer RJ. Check out our YouTube channel. Remember to rate, subscribe, and review. Like us on our Facebook group page, The Clinic All-NBA Podcast, and follow us on Twitter, at Clinic All-NBA. I'm Ro Zapanta. This is The Clinic All-NBA All -NBA Podcast. Come find us wherever you get your podcasts. Okay.
and we're good. <laughs>